Good morning, church. It's, it's just good to be here. I don't get the uh, opportunity to stand in front of the church very often, and it's, it's distracting. Let me tell you why. I love you so much, and I, it's, it's such a privilege to be a part of this particular church. And I know you people don't know you people. And one of my desires here is I want to introduce you right now. You guys got to know how awesome these people are. And so I want to encourage you, please, if you haven't been engaging in relationship building, please, please do that. You're missing out. There are some sweet, sweet lovers of God and lovers of people in this church. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to uh, share with you a little bit from Romans some of the things I believe the Lord has been teaching me in the last several months, actually. Uh, my name is Kent Cloder. For those of you that don't know, I'm not the, uh, the senior pastor, although I am the senior pastor. <laughs> um, pastor Daniel is with his family in, in Texas. And uh, my background here, my role here is discipleship and biblical counseling. And so my passion is to help people deal with difficulties. That's, that's what I do. And uh, I, do, I just, I love loving people, and I love helping people who, who hurt and who suffer. And I believe this text today is, can be extremely powerful and meaningful in your life as you wrestle with difficulties, whatever those might be. Uh, there's all kinds of categories of difficulty, but let me just give you a, a, a couple that are universally true. We struggle because we live in a sin-cursed, a fallen world. It's just the presence of sin which creates suffering. So we suffer. Second thing is we suffer from the evil of other people, sins of other people sinning against us. And there's probably not a person in this, this room who doesn't know how much it hurts to be sinned against. And the third way that we suffer is, is uh, with our own sin. And if you are not engaged in a battle with your own sin, within your own heart, uh, we need to talk. Because if you're comfortable with your sin, you're in serious trouble. But the point is, we all struggle in some layer, and some of us struggle in all of them. And I believe this text can help us understand and give us a visual uh, to, take, to take with you. It's hard for me to teach without a whiteboard. Can't do it. So I got you a drawing, but I want you to understand that this is meant, uh, we're going to build from the bottom up. So Heather, we got to start at the bottom and work up. <clears throat> I want to give you a picture. This picture has been forming in my head for months, and so it means a lot to me, and I hope I can help you see something meaningful out of this text. We're going to read from the book of Romans, and Romans happens to be one of my favorites because Paul is one of my favorites. I love Paul for, for several reasons, but one, Paul, Paul says, I come to you like a nursing mother. Paul weeps, he weeps with his people. I exhort you like a father. This is a family, folks. We're part of the church of the living God, and we are called to treat each other like we're family. And I would encourage you, when you meet somebody, uh, hear me, 
Peg them. Peg them. That's what I do. Sister, brother, son, grandchild, that's how I think. That's how we ought to think. I love Paul because he weeps with people he loves. And he's writing a letter. And this particular passage, this heart of Paul is passionate. Do something with what I've talked, what I've read, or wrote, written to you. You can tell I can't spell, I can't speak. All right. Please listen to Paul. What is he doing? He's writing. In the beginning of the book, he says, I write for, to, for the obedience of the faith. I want you to obey God. I want you to live out your faith from faith to faith. So the message today in the, in the letter of Romans, this text is meant for believers. So understand, I'm talking to children of God who have been redeemed and who have trusted in Christ to pay for their sin. They've trusted in Christ to be their righteousness. Now, you may not have come to that place. I would urge you <clears throat> that this can apply to you if you turn to Christ today. We're not holding you out. We're crying out loud. Please come. You need Christ. Help us show you Christ. So let's just know who the audience is meant to be in the letter. Please stand. Let's read from Romans chapter 12. And here's the heart, heart of Paul. I appeal, I appeal, I beg you, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's where we're going to camp today. What is good and acceptable and proving God's will. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. You have given us an amazing gift called love that we have no concept of apart from your love. We thank you that you have given us a love for each other. Please, Lord, help us understand your appeal to us today to respond to your mercy so that we are not only different, that we walk in a way that glorifies you as we prove, prove your will by obedience. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So here's where we're going. The big idea of this conversation this morning is, is just simply this. <clears throat> it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. Sorry. It's okay. We didn't rehearse. The big idea of today's conversation is simply this. True worshipers prove God's will. If you look at Romans 2, the end of Romans 12, verse 2, it says, By testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's where I'm going with this. And I be believe it has profound implications for how you think and how you respond to life. That's where we're going. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this. Let me just summarize the, 
the, the text we've just read and help you understand how I got to this, this statement, true worshipers prove God's will. The immeasurable mercies of God transform the whole person, soul, body, mind, emotions, everything is transformed. That transformation happens by mind renewal as we gaze into the glory of God. Mind renewal comes from Scripture to the end that we choose. Not only choose to obey God's will, we choose to obey Him, but we agree with Him. It's good. It's perfect. He says it's acceptable, but I agree with Him through personal experience. I prove it. So the text, I believe, is saying, and I'm going to argue this this morning, the text is saying you prove God's will by obeying it. So let's get started. We're going to build this construct in a design, hopefully a, a diagram that's going to make some sense to you. You don't have to remember the details of what I say, but you remember what it means and you remember what to do with it. So point, uh, point back to the verse, verse 1, chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So point number one is God's mercy, God's mercy motivates. Point number one. Paul is a Pharisee, transformed Pharisee, and he's, he's, he's calling you and me, don't, don't, don't try to achieve righteousness. Don't serve God for his approval. You serve God because of what he's done. Serve God because of his, of his mercy. So the therefore of this passage points back, you know this, and I'm assuming that, that most of you know this text. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time developing the details of verse 1 and first part of verse 2. I think you know it. And if you want to know more about it, Ben did a great, Pastor Ben did a great message on this a few uh, years ago. Uh, but he ran out of time, didn't get to this text. I appeal to you, therefore, he points back to the mercies of God. Let me just define or, or summarize the mercies of God in Romans. Four things, four ways I believe that Paul brings us to a point of thinking of why we should obey God. Number one, think about the storyline of Romans. We start with sin reigning to the point that you and I are condemned to eternal damnation. Sin is reigning. There's no hope without Christ. But Christ comes by faith you can find righteousness as a free gift and be transformed and be moved from dead to life, depraved to righteous, a dead person made alive, and an enemy, think about this, an enemy of God invited to the table in communion. That's amazing. You go from sin reigning to grace reigning, and now as a new creature adopted, new identity, you still struggle with the presence of sin. The power of sin is broken, but I still struggle with the presence of sin. Hope reigns. I have hope. I have hope to deal with the condition I find myself in and know that God is at work transforming me and the, there's future. There's future hope. Why? Why? Because God reigns, you see, over all of it. Sovereign God reigns over all of it. Here's the summary, Romans, uh, I think it's 8, 27 and 28. We are, we are foreknown, predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of Christ, 
called, justified, promised to be glorified, and nothing will separate us from the love of God. That's the mercy. That's a summary. We should preach sermons on just what this means, but we don't have time. I bit off way more than I could chew just with a half a verse. But I'm going to trust you to understand that Paul is making an urgent, emotional, friendly, kind appeal, even though he's an apostle and could demand it. He's saying, please, please consider the mercies of God and present your bodies a living sacrifice. The second part of of, uh, point number one is this. God's mercy motivates true worship and service. And Paul is calling you and me to respond because of what God has done has brought us from sin reigning to grace reigning to hope reigning and a sovereign reign where I'm going to be glorified. Present your bodies. I came down, became a human being, offered myself on your behalf. He died for us so we would no longer live for ourselves but unto him who died and rose again. Give me your body, is what he's saying. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. It's reasonable. It's rational. Ben, when he preached this, he talked about this being reasonable and radical. Give. Give yourself to God. Now, when you present your body, <clears throat> you think about this. Watch this. As I pre- that little drawing there represents an altar. So you can visualize. What I want you to go away with here is a visual picture of how the gospel transforms your mind so that you prove God's will with obedience. And it begins with this, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Guess what? That body didn't go anywhere without my mind being engaged. You cannot just give your body. But the point here is your body is good. God wants to use it. Everything you do with your hands, everything you see, everything you hear, everything you touch, everything you smell has something to do with worship. And God commands, Paul urges us, put it that way. It is a command, but he urges, please, give God. I used to struggle with a certain sin issue in my life. I still struggle with many certain sin issues, but this one in particular was really besetting me. <clears throat> and I kept asking, praying, God, what do you want from me? And just the voice come right back, I want, I want you. Give me you. Give me you. I wasn't doing that, and I still wrestle with it. Present your bodies. And then the rest of the text, now watch this. Resist being conformed. Don't let the world press you into its mold. Don't live, one commentator said, don't live by the the conforming part of the world. Don't accept the world as your fashion plate, is how it was said. Don't let it conform you. You resist and you renew. Renew your mind. That's where we're going with this, is mind renewal. Well, how? How do I renew the, the mind? 2 Corinthians 3.18, consider this. This has been a passage that has been extremely meaningful to me personally for years now. We all, Paul says to the Corinthians, with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. I look at Christ become like Christ. I'm predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. I cooperate 
by beholding him. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another, a little bit at a time. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I gaze into the glory. He comes and changes, transforms. The same word that Jesus was referred to when he was transfigured. The change comes from beholding and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how mind renewal happens. Well, where do I behold the glory of the Lord? Answer, the, the living word and the written word. This is where you see him. So you look at the glory through the scriptures. Listen to what the scriptures say about the scriptures. This is Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. It, reviving the soul changes the soul, transforms the soul. The word works here. The Holy Spirit works here. The testimony of the Lord is sure, makes wise the simple. The precepts are right, rejoices the heart. The commandments are pure, right, enlightening the eyes. I'm sorry. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What is that saying? When, when the Bible says it's perfect and complete, it means it's lacking. Everything here is pure, and there's nothing that ought to be here that's not here. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mind renewal, the point here is mind renewal happens when I resist conforming, and I resist also, another text says, I resist the desires, conforming to the desires of my own soul. That's a whole nother fight. I renew the mind, <clears throat> and I'm transformed as I do that. And Titus 3 talks about the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you don't like who you are, and I hope there are aspects of your soul that you are un, un, unpleased with, I hope, though, that you can see God at work. You want to change? He changes. He goes. He's at work. You behold him, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and he transforms us. This is the other side of the transformation coin. I am, I'm engaging my body and my mind, and I'm appealing to his word to change me, and I'm engaged as well. A mind that is renewed. Now, here's where we're going with this. God's mercy motivates true worship. And a mind that is engaged, beholding, praying, trusting the Holy Spirit, and watching him change us is a mind that is going to know the will of God. This is the will of God. First Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God. You see that all over the place. This is the will of God. I'm arguing that this text in particular is talking about this will of God, not the unknown sovereign will about who to marry, where your car, what car you're going to buy, and things like that. That's not here. That's not this. You take these principles and you apply it to that. But God doesn't tell you what tomorrow is going to bring. And he does it because he wants you to live by faith. You don't need to know that. A transformed mind is going to know the will of God. Point number two, true worshipers know God's will. True worshipers will know God's will. Why? Because you have spent face time. I like to say it that way. Face time with Jesus in the scriptures, in prayer, letting the Holy Spirit change you. Real quickly, I want to give you 
uh, some key elements of why I believe that we can rely on this. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 14 through 17. The scriptures are God-breathed, breathed out by God. They're profitable. They're able to make you wise to salvation. This is where it starts is in salvation. The scriptures bring us to a saving faith in Christ. And then he says it's able to teach you, tell you God's will. It's able to reprove you to stop you when you're outside of God's will, when you step off. It stops you, and it corrects you and gets you back up in the, in the way you should go. And then listen, training in righteousness. That is, I know how to go the will of God. And then it says that you may be thoroughly equipped to do every, every good work. I know the will of God right here. Paul also personally told the Ephesians that I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. I told you the whole counsel of God. Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said this in John 15, All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Those two truths just, have, they have changed the way I look at God's Word. Are you kidding me? The two greatest writers of the New Testament are telling us there's nothing left to be said. I do not need more. I know enough. So the point here is that God's word is complete. The will is complete. You got it in your hand. Number two, it's meant to be known. This is not meant to be mysterious. It is to the unbeliever. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to understand it. You can look at this all day long and not get it because the Holy Spirit's not there. Long time, several years ago, I met a, uh, a Jewish woman at a, uh, an atheist funeral. And <clears throat> we had some conversations during that time because she was without hope. Her friend had died. Her friend happened to be related to me. And she was asking me where my hope was. You know, we talked for a, a couple different blocks of time. And I would read the scriptures and she would say, that doesn't make any sense. And she would say things, and I would say, that doesn't make any sense. The absence of the Holy Spirit to help her understand was, was stark. It was scary. There was just nothing there to help her understand the Word of God. But it's meant to be known by His people. Jesus said in John 8, I speak just as the Father taught me. I always do what's pleasing and when I say these things, many believed on him, and he says, you will know the truth. If you, if you are my, listen to this, if you are my disciple, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you are truly my disciple. If my will abides in you, you are my disciple. And he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's meant to be known. It's complete. It's meant to be known, and it's meant to be really comprehended. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, the rich man boast in his riches, but let him boast in what? This, that you understand and know the Lord. And God means for you to know him. He means for you to understand his, his word and his will. That is an amazing text out of Jeremiah 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 says, we have received the Spirit that's from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. This is meant to be known. 
It's meant to be understood. It's meant to be comprehended. Now, mind-renewed people, people that present their bodies and are renewing their mind and are seeking to worship and serve the Lord are people that know God's will because they're in this and they understand who wrote it. And here's the result of that. Jesus continuing in John 17, I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have come to know in truth that I am come from you, that they and they have believed that you sent me. Point number three, worshipers trust God's word, God's will. Same thing. Worshipers trust Pastor's conference last uh, uh, April, there was a gentleman there, I can't remember his name, from Australia, I think. Uh, prominent guy, you'd, rec- you'd recognize his name. But one, he was from, I think, Australia. He said, he said this, Americans don't know the word faith anymore. They don't understand the word, I think he said, the belief anymore. I use, I prefer to use the word trust. And then he went on to explain it. This is why I chose this word. Because trust means that I believe when I step down that what I step on is going to hold me. I trust it. And I do something with it. True worshipers trust God's will. Why? Because I beheld him. I have looked at him. I have come to know him very, very intimately. I know him as this. He is merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness, and he is a God who forgives. And there is nothing I need more than forgiveness. This is the God whose mercies brought me to this place. This is the God whose mercies ought to motivate me to present myself to him. This is the God I want to live in relationship with, and this is a God I know I can trust. He is good and upright, Psalm 25 says. Therefore, he instructs sinners. This line you see on your drawing is meant to teach you that God clearly tells you how to think and what to do and how to respond. And those words are pure, Psalm 12. They're pure, purified seven times. The imagery here is there is absolutely no imperfection in them. And he instructs sinners in the way. Psalm 1 says, that way is good. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but he delights in the law of the Lord. He gazes, he gazes. He delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he does what? Ruminates, meditates. How often? Day and night. That's a person who trusts And does God's will. Even though this feels better, at the beginning of this this little line down here, we're going to get to this. At the beginning of this, you're wrestling with what you think. i got to trust God to go this way. Psalm 119 says this way is sweet. It is righteous. It's a lamp. It's light. It is light. Life. It's life. James says this is death. The end thereof are the ways of death, you see. So at this moment, the point here is any 
any movement, one direction or the other, is based on trust, my belief, my faith in the God who tells me what to think and how to respond to my suffering, to the evil, my own sin. Let me give you an example here. A soul that worships God, the way this diagram is, is meant to help you understand, is a, is a person who looks at this and says, I will do it. I'll do the right thing for the right reason, regardless of the outcome, even though I know it's going to be hard, even though I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me. I have been betrayed. I want to fight back. I want justice and vengeance. And God says, forgive. God says, love your enemies. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, this is Hebrews 11, talking about a life lived in faith. I trust God. I'm a worshiper. I know God. And therefore, I trust him. Faith lived out. Moses, grown up, refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See the difference. He makes this choice juxtaposed against this choice. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. This man is wrestling with a decision. And a renewed mind is moving him to go this way, you see. He, by faith, he trusted God's will. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. He endured. He endured. Obeying God costs you. Sometimes it will cost you your life. That's the imagery of the body. It's going to cost you. Follow Christ, it'll cost you. First Timothy or First Peter 2, it says, to this, to this, you've been called. I called you to this. What is this? This is a life of suffering. Follow Christ. That's hard. By faith, he kept the Passover. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. I see the God I cannot see because I believe the God who wrote the words I can see. By faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, key element right here is this, point number, point number four. True worshipers prove God's will. True worshipers prove God's will. He had an option to do his own thing, go for the pleasures of, of, and treasures of Egypt, but he took this option. How come? How come? This is the, element, the essence of worship, folks. The essence of worship is this. As I look at two things, I look at two op options in front of me, and I compare their value. The word worship means that you are assessing or ascribing value to something. Your worship is a product of what you value, who you value. He looked at those two things and said, this 
is of far greater value than this. How come? Because he trusted that the reward at the end was real. He trusted the warning here is real. The way of the transgressor is hard. Now think about this. This is this, some, some people call this the Y chart or Y diagram. The idea here is I have a decision to make, a, tr- a crisis, and it might be a decision as <clears throat> what, kind of, uh, what kind of orange juice to buy. I'm telling you, it's in the Bible. You buy the stuff with pulp. It's in there. That way you can tell it's real stuff. <laughs> you got to make a decision, something as trivial as that, to something as major as marriage, or even more major to forgive when your spouse has been unfaithful. That's major. When your parents have abandoned you, you don't even know who they are. That's major. There's a decision point to make based on what you value. That's what worship is. And Abraham, or Moses, understood He understood the comparison. The Y chart tells me that this way up front looks easy, but the end thereof is the way of death. The way the transgressor is hard. This way up front. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I called you to a life of suffering. 1 Peter chapter 2. Read it. It's not easy to follow Christ. It costs you your body. It costs you your mind. I died for you so you would no longer live for yourself, but unto him who died and rose again. It's going to It's going to cost you. But God's will, God's way is good. It's perfect. It's acceptable. If you follow it, you will prove it to be so. If you don't, I would argue this. At that decision point, if you don't make this choice, you're saying something profound about what you think about God. He's not good. Not perfect. And his way is just simply unacceptable. So that's why I I bring this idea of trust in here. This trust is not in the text, but I believe it's implicit. You do not, you do not do anything you do not trust in. You don't do anything you you don't value. Back to the text. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing... You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is not saying, this is not telling you to test God's will by signs and wonders, to ask what God is going to do tomorrow or what he specifically wants you. Should I take this trip? Should I buy this house? That's not what this is. That is sovereign, God's sovereign will, and there's nowhere in Scripture that, that instructs you to ask for that or to find the answer for it. And we wrestle in this decision point, we wrestle a lot with trying to find something we can't necessarily find. God can. He can tell you, but it's rare. It's not common. What is he saying then? By testing you may discern. Here's the word. The Greek word, there's one Greek word that means by testing you may discern. Here's what it means. You look and examine at something you can see, something tangible. You prove it to be what it, you prove it to be true. You scrutinize it. You test it. You 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 deem it worthy to be followed. This is valuable. 
And you deem it worthy enough to be followed to the point that you actually put it into practice. I'll obey it. And that's why I say true worshipers prove God's will because what this means then is I have examined it, I have tried it, and I make a, a personal judgment based on a personal experience that I can look back and say, when I forgave my spouse, when I chose to release bitterness, when I chose to, instead of respond in anger, respond in love. I chose to fight back when I was sinned against by overcoming evil with good. I chose that. And I can tell you by experience it was good. And I have done it long enough. Now I'm telling you that this is what is acceptable to me. This is what I dislike. I hate. They that love God hate sin. That's the, the result of transformation is I growingly agree with God that what he says is good and perfect and acceptable, which, by the way, he does say this about this. I can say it now from personal experience. That's what the text is saying. True worshipers prove God's will. And I would argue at this choice point of this Y chart, when I go this way, I make statements about God may not think about it, but I make statements about God, just like Eve did. He's not perfect. I don't trust him. He's not worthy of my trust. Well, what do I do when I'm in this moment? I need to know what to do. Answer, it's clear in Scripture. You are to love God, love people, make disciples, get involved in the church, Use your spiritual gifts in the church. And if you want some specifics, you just keep reading the rest of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, Don't think of yourself too highly. Humble yourself. Go love people. Outdo one another in love. And invest yourself. Offer your body to serve the body of Christ. That's God's will. Well, what about the specifics? God doesn't give them to you. Why would he not do that? Our grandkids have taught me this in a visual here just recently. They're staying with us. And um, um, Papa can be uh, impatient with, with kids. I expect them to do what I tell them. I don't spoil them. And by, by the way, just an extra aside here, grandparents, your role is not to spoil grandkids. I learned that a long time ago. Your role is to support your children in raising the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so I, our role is to support our kids and what they have decided our, our kids' spiritual um, uh, nurturing should be. Obviously, it's got to be in the biblical paradigm. So I don't spoil them. I, I, and I'm very concerned about their hearts because when a child looks at, a four-year-old looks at a 200-pounder and says no, well, my flesh reacts. i got to be careful. But that scares me because her heart, if she looks at me and says no, what's she going to do when she sees God? Decision point, my way's better. I don't care what God thinks. That's serious business. So when I tell her to do this and she says, no, I want to do that, I'm thinking this is, 
this is clear. I'm telling you what to do. You don't like it. But I have a sovereign plan. Can I say it that way? I've got something bigger that you don't understand. And the fact she doesn't understand it causes this great resistance. And you know what? I don't have language for a four-year-old. I can't explain it. No way. It's the same way with you and the Lord and your sovereign, your acts, your questions about where's God going with this. He doesn't have language. Habakkuk chapter, Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk teaches that, that God says to Habakkuk, if I, I told you, you wouldn't believe it. You couldn't understand it. So what do we do with this? You trust God. Think about a bowling alley with uh, <clears throat> bowling pins. The bowling pins at the end are clear instructions of the will of God. The alley itself, the will of God, <sighs> obey him. You're not perfect, right? My four-year-old, the other four-year-old grandson beat me at, at bowling. Imagine that. I'm not that good. <clears throat> but guess what? You got the bumpers on the side? Okay, that's God's sovereign control of life. He keeps you within his sovereign will, and you have to trust him with what you don't know. And that's, that's really, really, really hard. So here we are at a decision point. We're motivated by God's mercy. We're seeking to renew our minds diligently, daily, praying through and listening to the truths of God's word to the point we know him well enough, we trust him, even when he tells us to do the hard, hard things. And we're trusting him like the bowling bumpers, you know, we're trusting him to deal with us in his sovereign plan, even though we don't know. So I got an experiment here. It worked well in the first session, but if if you heard the first session or heard about the first session, you can't get involved with this. All right. So in order to make this work, I want to illustrate this point. True worshipers prove God's will. Why? Because they trust Him. Why? Because they know Him. How do they know Him? Because they're renewed. They're in relationship with Him, and they listen even though they have no idea what he's up to in the big picture other than his glory, my good. So I need a volunteer to help me with this illustration. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I want you to listen really closely. <clears throat> Do exactly what I say. I, it, I promise you this. If you come up here, I will not embarrass you, number one. Number two, I promise you, you will be glad you joined me. Somebody come? 30 seconds. First person gets to help me. Billy? All right. Billy's courageous. All right. Now, what did he do? He listened to me, right? He has no idea what I'm going to do, but I made him two promises. So, Billy, uh, yeah, stay right there. Stay right there. I want to give you a $50 Visa card just because you believed me and you trusted me. Go sit down. Thank you. <clears throat> now, did I embarrass you? By the way, work with me. Did I embarrass you? Thank you. All right. He made a choice. He made a choice. You have multiple choices to make today that can prove God's will to be good, acceptable, perfect, 
just what you need, starting with, I really believe what he says when he says this is complete. I don't need more. I really believe him when he says I can know this. I really believe that it has powerful application for my life. And when I walk down his way, even though it's going to be hard, I will be blessed. Now that every illustration breaks down, God doesn't give you money when you ask for it. But just understand the illustration. He listened to two instructions and he found something. He proved something to be true. I guaranteed it and he's glad. The immeasurable mercies of God transform the soul, body, mind, and will and sanctifies worshipers who present themselves as living sacrifices who fight off the conformity of the world and gaze into the glory of God to the point they know God and trust Him and gladly prove His will to be true by experience. And by the way, save ourselves a ton of pain. God's true worshipers prove God's will. Two decisions on the shelf pleasing God or pleasing self. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're awed by the love that you have given us. You would give yourself and just shower your love and mercy on us to the point that we could be joint heirs and have the hope of eternal life. We praise and bless you for this. We thank you Uh, For the truths today, we pray challenge us with them and change us. And bless this group of people. They would love you more and love your people more. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.